right, day 93. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith. And remember, this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right. So we're going to jump right into today. So much in these four Psalms today. So we start with Psalm 29 and Psalm 29, man, is a hymn of praise. And the main thought that Psalm 29 is trying to get across is that God's attributes are meant for our adoration, right? They're, his attributes are meant for us to adore him, right? Look how he starts off the Psalm. Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory do his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Ascribe to the Lord, he's going to say, glory, strength, the glory to his name. Worship him for the splendor of his holiness. The psalmist has big God theology, right? He sees God as huge and big and beautiful. And when he says ascribe to the Lord, all of these things, it is just an acknowledgement via praise, right? That he is the only one that has these attributes, right? He possesses absolute majesty, royalty, splendor, beauty. We should see him as this all-powerful being full of strength and might, right? But also, you know, as holy, as perfect, as the one with perfect moral purity, so much so that all morality itself comes from his existence and being, right? And he tells the heavenly hosts, the angelic beings in the spiritual realm, right? To worship him as well, right? He is the one who uh, exists in such a way so that we would gaze at, at him and we would meditate on him and we would worship him and reflect on who he is in and of himself. And we see the psalmist praising God as well, primarily for his voice, right? We see the effect in this psalm too that God's voice has upon the entire creation right he'll say that god's word is perfect and it knows no bounds and it breaks all barriers right seven times this psalm will use the phrase the voice of the lord the voice of the lord the voice of the lord and basically this is symbolic for the number of completion right the number seven and we must note based on this psalm that the voice of the lord here is symbolic of his power right this is why he will say stuff like the voice of the lord breaks the cedars right the lord shatters the cedars of lebanon why is that important well lebanon was a type of tree in the ancient world that was widely recognized as the strongest tree in the land right so in other words he's saying god's voice god's power is set up in such a way that the strongest tree in the land can be sliced down to a stump (laughs) the lord sits enthroned over the flood he says in verse 10 the lord sits enthroned king forever um what he's saying is this the lord is the most powerful being in the universe right and we have to sit and reflect on this more he is the one who can make flood waters and the seas cave in on itself and it mentions that the wilderness right shakes at his voice why what is it saying it's saying that the wilderness right? The forces of nature tremble, right? Like it's shook or scared (laughs) because of the greatness of God. And God is just so powerful, man. And we have to adore how mighty uh, he is and not downplay that in our very own lives. Psalm 30. Psalm 30 uh, is another dope psalm. It's a psalm of thanksgiving. And the thing that I think this psalm is trying to get across is that, listen, the best thing about the worst things in life is that they don't last, right? Suffering, hear this, suffering 
has an expiration date, but joy doesn't, right? And David shows us what it's like to traverse that spectrum in this one psalm. He'll say, hey, I will exalt you, Lord, because you have lifted me up and you have not allowed my enemies to triumph over me. Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you healed me. Lord, you brought me up from Sheol. You spared me from among those going down to the pit. Listen, David essentially says that whatever he was going through, he had one foot in the grave, right? The Lord brought him up from Sheol. The Lord spared him from the pit, right? And he's going to express this joy, especially in verse four, where he says, you know, sing to the Lord, use faithful ones and praise his holy name. But this joy that he experienced, he shows us that the joy of the Lord is not or is best experienced as a shared experience, right? And he calls on his homies, all the peoples to join in. And one of the things that we see throughout the Psalms is that David is going to act over and over as an inspired worship leader, right? Where he sets the tone for us to fall in behind him and worship the Lord as well for his acts. And I love how the Psalm, you know, the movement of the Psalm where he's going to say, hey, essentially, you know, weeping can endure for night, but joy comes in the morning. And the idea is that weeping, hear this, can't stop the coming joy any more than the previous night can stop the coming day, right? When I was secure, I said I would never be shaken. Lord, when you showed your favor, you made me stand like a strong mountain. When you hid your face, I was terrified. And David just goes on and on and on. And, you know, he's trying to get us to worship the Lord, right? Because God is the one who takes uh, his people from sorrow to singing, from lament to laughter, from despair to dancing. And that's just what God does. Psalm 31, we have this plea of protection uh, and it's saying here by the psalmist. And remember these psalms are usually attached to a historical situation, right? And here we are not told uh, that this is one, right? However, the um, the the non, the ahistorical nature of the psalm allows it to be a fitting for all of us who come behind David and have the same words. But David is really suffering here, right? So much so that he will even go so far as to say that my eyes are worn out from frustration and my bones, right, waste away. And once again, we see that physical suffering, right, um, is showing here that, like, yeah, physical suffering can ble- can bleed over into our emotions and our physiology, right? Even, the, even in the midst of, you know, grieving and tears and pain, David, though, is still keeping hope right? And I love it too, because when you get to verse five, he says, um, into your hand, I entrust my spirit. And once again, my man, David spoke more than he knew, right? Because the Lord Jesus, when he's on the cross in Luke 23, verse 46, he says the exact same words, right? Jesus, the son of David is going to say the exact same thing. And what David is saying and what Jesus was quoting was the fact that even as one who is in the midst of intense suffering, right? Christ was at the cross taking the wrath of God, And, you know, he still entrusted his soul, right? His spirit to the hands of the father, right? And at the end of the day, you know, the Lord is the one who makes things right. And David has that confidence by the end of the psalm. David is overcome with a sense of God's justice that in the end, the wicked get what they deserve, but the redeemed get what Christ deserves. So even Christ too at the cross, as he entrusts himself to the Lord, Uh, knowing that the Father will give him and vindicate him by glorious uh, resurrection. Psalm 32. Finally, 
Um, I love this song because it captures so much of what I believe to be or should be true. Uh, um, not just what I believe is true, but what I believe should be true of believers. And he says this, how joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and in whose spirit is no deceit. Four different words here he's going to use for sin to show that God's Grace covers all kinds of sins that you and I commit. And then he's going to use three different verbs here to describe God forgiving. Right. This means the burden of sin being lifted, covering, concealing something some from sight. Um, he'll say not charging us. Right. This verb is usually used in legal context where the guilty is old and over and over and over. He's going to hit at the same thing. And we need to med- meditate on this more. Right. It would do a lot of our souls. Uh, it would do a lot for our souls and our joy if we realize the depths of our forgiveness. Right. And it's so good, too, because it's not just we tend to think of God as someone who just want wants something from us. But what this text is saying is that God wants something for us, right? God doesn't just want something from us. He wants something for us. And that's joy. That's the joy that comes with knowing your sins are covered, right? He wants this blessing, as the psalm will say, this this happiness, this peace, right? And Paul, man, Paul picks this text up in Romans chapter 4. And essentially, he's going to say, like, he's used this text to say that cats always been saved by grace, right? Like, that's why David is singing, <laughs> because he understands and knows the grace of God. And it's so interesting, man, that, you know, his sins are forgiven. But look what happens, in, like, further, as he goes further. Look what happens when he says he doesn't confess his sin, right? We know good and well those of us who have had our sins forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ still fall into sin at times. So he says this, when I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long for day and night. Your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Verse five. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Not confessing our sin and keeping our sin bottled up on the inside. We are subsequently the ones who are usually hurt for it, right? It is not hurting anyone but you, right? In the same Hebrew verb he's going to use in verse one for what the Lord did, right? In covering his sin is the same one used here in verse five, where he talks about the concealing his sin. And the point he's trying to make is this in trying to cover up hear this something God is already going to cover up for us. We cut ourselves off from the mercy of God. Right. We cut ourselves off from God's mercy. And it's so good, too, because even this is a means of grace. Right. This feeling that David has where his bones are brittle. Right. If you ever held on to some unconfessing, you know exactly what David is talking about. And it's this heavy spiritual weight, right, that you can carry from uh, not confessing your sin. Um, and it's God's grace, right, that 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 has that allows this heavy hand to be upon you um, because he wants you to confess. He wants you to come clean. He wants you to run to him so that you could receive the joy he has for you. 
I've learned, man, based on reading uh, the scriptures and based on living the Christian life, that one of the biggest reasons we don't confess our sin is because we believe that on the other side of confession is judgment rather than joy. And I want you to know that that is not true. That is a lie from the pit of hell. If you're struggling with sin today, if you're struggling with confessing your sin today, or if you struggle in the future, I want you to know that there's joy on the other side of confession, not judgment. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your grace to live out what we've seen in your word. We pray for the strength, the boldness, um, and the fearlessness and the courage uh, that can come through your spirit that leads us and prompts us to come to you in confessions of our sins so that you can come.